Hello, hello. Here is Zagi again on the Paranormal Show. And uh, we are doing another one here. I have a wonderful guest with us, which uh, we're going to hear from in just a second. But first, uh, if you're going to connect with us, just try us on broadcastteamalpha.com. And we are also on YouTube and about 44 different platforms. Uh, so we can uh, you can find us anywhere with that name. And uh, we... Uh, we have also put together a spiritual think tank where we do incredible things. It seems like we are bending the laws of physics sometimes. And we, it seems like we also are creating our seemingly nothing, but we are tapping into the unified field where everything past, present, and future is, and we are bringing it in to the present in the physical. And this is something that is a little hard to understand. So if you want to be part of something that is incredible like that, send us an email and I'll send you some information so you can come and check it out and see if you want to be part of something like this. We have a, a group of people, some tremendous minds, and uh, we are creating some real, real things in the physical that should not be possible but it works. And uh, I have here Joyce, uh, Mary Joyce is with us. And she is returning to uh, Broadcast Team Alpha, I guess I should say, because this is under the umbrella of Broadcast Team Alpha. She is a uh, real researcher, a digger that has gotten behind the curtain and found many of the answers that we all have been looking for. And for those of you that want to um, search the web about, while you're listening, here is her website. That is skyshipsovercashiers.com. Skyshipsovercashiers.com. And she writes article on there. And there's some phenomenally interesting articles and a lot of pictures. And those pictures... They, you got to see it. You got to go there and see this because I cannot explain it. This is really good what she has put together. And um, she also has five books out. And uh, the last one is Spy in the Sky. And uh, there's some interesting stuff in there. And it's got a bunch of pictures. And uh, I love pictures. I just can't help it. I got to keep mentioning that. There's pictures of some huge ships, and uh, yeah, you got to go see that too. And um, we, she wrote an article here not long ago, and it was about a gentleman that had seen extraterrestrial beings that came from the crash at Roswell. And Joyce, uh, Mary Joyce. We really want to hear about this because this is a little different than what we've heard before. We, we heard all kinds of strange stories about it, but nothing really like this because this one has credibility with it. Uh, the man's name was Paul Epley. And let me be dramatic here because his life really was dramatic. 
he was in world he was in the korean war and every night of his life after the war he woke up screaming with nightmares because he had been uh commanded by the u.s army to be an assassin for them and this gets into the to, to a whole bunch of things but i want you to know what how tormented the man was so you can fully appreciate why he was where he was and why he saw what he saw and he was just a simple, simple mountain boy from North Carolina. And at the age of 18, he went into the army. That was his goal in life. He was just excited about that. He did a severe break of his, I think it was his ankle during boot camp. And so they were going to discharge him. And this, he, he said he would do anything if they would just let him stay in the army. Well, they made an agreement with him. If he did anything they told him to, um, without squawking about it, he could stay in. And so they used him as an assassin during uh, the Korean War. And um, while he was in the military, which I think was 1948 to 1955, he ended up in a place called uh, Camp Perry. And that's spelled like a fruit, P-E-A-R-Y. And uh, when he was there, he ran into a man who he had served with in Guam, and so they started chatting and the man was on guard duty around this kind of bunker. And so they were having an exchange talking about, you know, why he was there and what was going on. And so finally, his uh, former buddy uh, said, I'll let you take a peek. And he opened the door and there was uh, an alien, which he described as being about four and a half feet tall having like orange gray skin. He, he described it as looking kind of dead like, um, but the, not, the creature was alive, but the skin had a dead orange gray look to it. And it had long fingers. Uh, it was in a cage that was about three to four feet square. And the, it was very much alive. It kind of glanced at him and was very aware that he was standing there looking in. Um, and his buddy, who was guarding this place, uh, told him this was the fifth ET that had come from Roswell. And according to um, uh, Paul, uh, it had been shipped from Roswell to, I think it was Fort Hood in Texas. I, I think I have that right. And then from there, it was sent to Camp Perry. Now, when I interviewed uh, Paul, uh, I had no idea about anything regarding Perry. So after the interview, I did some research and he had told me it was a secret facility. Uh, to this day, it's a secret facility. It is a 9,000 acre place where they train people uh, like the CIA to do uh, secret intelligence type of work. Um, so it's really a covert training facility to this day. Uh, either he didn't know why the ET was sent there or he chose not to talk about it. I don't know which, but he did not know why it was there. But clearly those at the CIA level were very interested in this ET. It's the first time that I personally have uh, talked to anybody who has seen um, an ET from Roswell for, for themselves. And um, I just, you know, found it very, very fascinating. So what happened was I had written this story back in 2010 and it was when we shortly, it was only like two years after we had started the website and we certainly have many more people following us now than we did back then. 
And I was looking at that story. I'm thinking nobody knows this even to this day. And so I decided to resurrect the article. And uh, I called it um, Old Soldier Drops um, Three Bombshells. One was that he had seen the alien from Roswell at this secret facility. Uh, Two, that he had been an assassin for our government during the Korean War. And third, which also surprises everybody, he was called up to Langley Air Force Base after he was out of the military and they wanted him to uh, assassinate Martin Luther King. That was in um, 1967. That was the year before Martin Luther King was actually killed. Wow. Yeah, it's a big wow. And it was therapeutic for him uh, to even tell me about it because I was contacted by um, Don Cooper, who's a pastor, and he thought it would be therapeutic for this man to get to clean his conscience and to be able to talk talk about this. Yeah. I forgot to turn that off. There's always switches and buttons. (laughs) Turn these on and turn those off and... Yeah. Well, it's kind of, uh, you know, we hear stuff from behind the curtain that kind of leaks out, and that is that the federal government have their, the different branches still have their assassination squads. Um, That was kind of creepy, not only that they wanted to assassinate Martin Luther King, but I was shocked at who he was having to assassinate during the Korean War. When when about the time the war was ending or they had ended it, um, they didn't want the people in North Korea who had helped the United States to be able to have the information that had been shared between our government and those that were allies of us in North Korea. So they were assassinating him. And I'm just horrified that some of the things that aspects of our government will do that are so inhumane. And the story that sticks out in my mind most vividly is that they trained him, Paul, to uh, fly a plane, to, to not totally, but to uh, launch it. And they taught him how to um, skydive out of a plane. They never taught him how to land it. Oh. <laughs> and he, he was never able to ask questions. That was part of the agreement. And so they had him take this plane off, a cargo plane, And then he was supposed to go to the back of the plane and jump out before it was crashed. It was loaded with North Koreans who had been allies of our government. And so he, as he's going toward the back of the plane, he's seen all these people who are bound in a cargo plane. And that's one of the awful memories that he has of being an assassin during the Korean War. And I don't think all of our government is bad. But there's certainly aspects of it that I think are terrible. And that's certainly an example. Yeah, man, oh man, that that would be a memory to have to live with, huh? Right. And it, it wasn't just that. Uh, he kept his mouth shut about um, uh, what he had seen and done during the Korean War yeah. until the 1990s. And then he, he spoke out publicly a little bit. I'm not talking about on a big road show. I'm just talking about he spoke about it in his community. And the local paper picked it up. Two weeks later, or about roughly, two FBI men showed up at his place of employment and basically uh, told him to shut up or they would shut him up. So even after he was out of the military, even though he was no longer 
doing these terrible things, uh, he still was under the careful watch of our government. No. Yeah, God, God, that's. And this is probably just the tip of the iceberg. Maybe uh, there's probably worse things going on. So. Well, I'll tell you two things. One, I kind of, it seems like we've heard everything about Roswell. So I was really shocked to find that there was something I hadn't heard of before. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's that's why I did it. Yeah. Um, anyhow. Did he say anything about when he was standing there in the door, looking at the alien in the cage, if there was any mental contact? Because many of these are very telepathic. Um, two things. He, he said that he knew that that alien was very aware of his presence. And mm -hmm. he did a glance, you know, out of the side of his eye because he was seeing mostly a side view of him. Um, but again, Paul Epley was a very simple man. And so things that you and I might take for granted, like understanding telepathic communication and stuff, wouldn't have even been in his mind in any way whatsoever. So basically, he just said that he felt that the creature was very aware of him. Yeah. Yeah. Did, if, you'd uh, been there, if you'd been there, you probably would have picked up all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Did he say anything about maybe if he heard or knew anything about the others that was in the craft, the other aliens? Uh, no, this is all he knew about was this one. Yeah. And But it was news to me to hear firsthand from somebody that uh, mm -hmm. there were five. I'm not sure that's consistently been out there for people to know. Yeah. One of the things that made me totally believe this man was the raw emotion that came with his um, interview. And he, when I met him, he was in his 80s. He was fighting cancer. He'd been living these hellish nightmares every night of his life. And he no longer cared if he lived or died. So the military or the government could no longer threaten him. But he wanted to clear his conscience. And this man, uh, Pastor uh, Don Cooper was trying to help him do that as a healing process. Yeah. So that's the reason it happened. And that just made his story totally believable uh, to me when you see the raw emotions. Yeah, it's kind of like a deathbed confession then. Very much so. Very much so, because he didn't live too much longer after that. Yeah. And that's the way many of these things happen. That because they're threatened in so many ways, uh, many people have waited till they know they don't have many days left before they ever uh, tell people what he um, what they've been through. In fact, I'm working on a story now. Uh, hopefully, I'll finish it this week. Uh, and it's another man who uh, he had his information put on a videotape interview uh, with instructions it could not be released until after his death so this is very very common well we're looking forward to that article uh i've only got the intro done on it but i'll i'll get it done hopefully it'll be done for the next installment so to speak okay good yeah send me a link to that one because uh, i keep putting your uh your website up on my facebook page and stuff uh times so uh 
I appreciate that. And I think it's really important to realize that we're all part of a network. And each one of us in our own different, each in our individual ways are trying to get real truth out to the public as best mm -hmm. we can. And though each one of us is in a small pond, there's a whole lot of ponds now. There's a whole lot of podcasts. There's a whole lot of shows. There's a whole lot of books and things that uh, you and I would never have known about uh, uh, even 10 years ago yeah. uh, is coming out. And uh, if the traditional media uh, won't have a lot to do with it, then we'll do it this way. Yeah, now we have a global communication system that is instant. And it, I mean, 20 years ago, uh, it's kind of started a little bit with the internet, but it really wasn't developed. No. Now, it is phenomenal what we can do. I I like to visit another subject if we could. Okay. Sure. And that is about the Sasquatch magnet. I I love those big guys, you know, never seen one, but uh, I, I know the stories, the many, many stories that I've heard about it. And you got a good one here. So let's hear that too. Well, this is uh, the most recent one I've just posted. If you go to our website, Skyships Over Cashers, uh, on the right-hand side, we always have the, the 20 most recent uh, uh, postings. And so that's up at the top or near the top. Uh, right now. So you just go there and click on it. By the way, cashier sounds like a strange word. Uh, it's spelled just like a cashier at the supermarket. Uh, we actually have a town here in North Carolina called Cashers. And um, that's where we first began seeing lots and lots of UFOs. That was the impetus for the website. And as you know, the website's gone way beyond that. You can't just keep showing little lights going across the sky. That gets very boring. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, it's just evolved into so much more. But that's the origin of the name. And this story is a woman. She goes by the uh, the initials CJ. And she contacted me um, not that rather recently. And she wanted to come up to North Carolina. She was living in North Carolina, in Florida, taking care of her parents. And so I met her for lunch uh, with Evelyn Gordon, who also works behind the scenes at the website. And she is known out in uh, Colorado as the Sasquatch uh, magnet, because it seems like every time they go out looking or trying to communicate or find Sasquatch, uh, they seem to come to her or they're either drawn to her or she's drawn to them. I have no idea. And she probably doesn't either. And uh, the irony of it, the thing that really got my attention was she came in uh, on the 12th of August, got a place at an inn here in North Carolina, and she went out and started hiking uh, on a trail behind the inn. She immediately found a fresh footprint or footprints. And so she had pictures of it that she showed us over lunch. So I thought it was pretty, uh, kind of proves that she's a Sasquatch. A magnet because as soon as she arrives she gets to see uh, a pretty good sized print for prints and and i like i said i share your sentiments or your feelings toward the bigfoot um i wrote a book called um what do i call it i go blank here um bigfoot beyond the footprints because i got tired of hearing about just the footprints i got tired of people just focusing on the horror stories wow. and so the book that i've done Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints, focuses on the, the human qualities. Now, 
when I say human qualities, I mean that in the best sense of the word, because being human is not necessarily a compliment anymore because our behavior has gotten so foul. Uh, but they they have family and they have language and they have, um, you know, just wonderful um, uh, qualities. Yeah. And that's the whole purpose of that book. And there's one other story um, that actually, let's see if I can remember how this goes. Um, now I'll have to wait a little bit on that one so it comes together for me. Mm. Oh, one of the things that I uh, brought back is that during the uh, eruption of Mount St. Helens, there were a number of stories and videos about the military rescuing Bigfoot during that eruption. That was a terrible eruption. And I saw one of those videos years and years ago. And I thought, you know, a lot of people don't know about this. I could not find that video. But I did find uh, an email from uh, an, a military specialist who was there and the story is really really touching um because um it involves uh, a big old uh bigfoot with a scar on his face about four let's five or six inches on uh one side of his face and he he took the military medical team to this cave out in the remote area uh, areas uh, near that volcano and I'm giving it the short version. His mate was in there and had been severely burned. And so he was taking the military medical team to go in there to try to save her. Well, she couldn't be saved, but it was a very touching thing between the man and the male Bigfoot and the emotion with the death of his spouse, both his expression of it toward his mate and his expression of it toward the man. What makes this doubly interesting is that uh, not too long after that, the man and his wife were uh, just going out into the country uh, to into the mountains just to have R&R &R, and a blizzard hit. And they went off the edge of the road, down a big embankment. They ended up upside down in their car in a fast moving creek they couldn't get out. They were injured. And before the man totally blacked out, he saw this big hand come through the window. And that was the last thing he remembered. When he and his wife woke up, they had been placed next to a tree trunk. And uh, the Bigfoot with the scar, same one, showed up there, went over and touched his wife's knee. And the man told his wife, don't be afraid, he's my friend. So the story, the way I've written it and the way that the, the email goes is much better than what I just told you. And yeah. you will also find that story on the right-hand side of the homepage on the Skyships Over Cashers website. Wow. Yeah, there is, they have a communication device, they have a language and they, in many ways, they have many of our qualities are good ones good qualities well the, i guess they have some of our bad ones too because some of them don't have a great reputation but that's also true of human beings yeah i ran across i'm going to take about three minutes and tell you this because okay. i ran across a story uh 
of Bigfoot. There was about 60, 70 miles north of uh, Las Vegas, New Mexico, uh, in uh, Nevada. Nevada. Mm -hmm. and there was a forest fire, a big forest fire. This is about 10 years ago, or maybe not quite 10. Uh, in fact, I did a video on it. It's on broadcast uh, teamalpha.com, way down deep. Uh, there was a big forest fire, and the fire you know, the, they were trying to put out the fire and out of the fire came running a Bigfoot and he was severely burned. A big part of his body was burned. The fur was burned and he had, you know, red blotches all over. And he came up fairly close to the fireman and he sat down. It is obviously that he knew that he needed help. He was a male, and uh, the firemen, they, they walked up to him, and he didn't do anything. He just sat there. So they put him on a gurney, on a, you know, gurney. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was so big that his, his legs were hanging off the end, and he was probably about, they, they thought about nine foot tall if they stretched him out. And uh, he was, he looked nervous, but there was a Native American woman there, a fire, uh, she was one of the fire people. And she went up to him and he, she held his hand and he calmed down. And uh, they uh, took, put, uh, there was some oils and things that they put on him and uh, they they took him from there and put him in a van and they took him away somewhere because this story was recited by one of the people that was there as a fireman. And uh, he didn't know what happened to Bigfoot after they took him away. But they, obviously the uh, Bigfoot knew he needed help. Mm -hmm. And he came to us, to the people, to ask for help. It's kind of similar with this one I just told you about. He was oh. leading the medical team to the cave where his wife was or his mate was. Yeah. Um, yeah, we need to be much more compassionate. Yes. Uh, if you would, send me the link to that. I would look, I'd love to see it or listen okay. to it. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll send you a link to it. And... Uh, you know, even back in Norway, before I came to the United States, you know, we heard all kinds of stories about big trolls. Oh, is that what they call them? That's what they call them. You know, they didn't call them back 50 years ago. They didn't call them Bigfoot. They, they were trolls back then. And, Interesting. And uh, there was a lot of these stories, especially in the mountainous areas. And uh, they wanted just to be left alone. They didn't want to associate with people. They were not aggressive, but they just were a little threatening sometimes. They threw rocks at people to keep them away. But they never hit them. They never hit the people. That's they right. always, it, it, over and over, I've heard the stories of throwing pebbles at them or rocks at them, but never hitting the people. Yep. And it's like, please just leave us alone. Don't, you know, and that's all they want to communicate. Yeah, and these were big rocks too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they're big, sometimes they're they're small. Yeah. 
the little people are known for their rock throwing too, but a, at a whole different level. Um, even to this day on the Cherokee Indian Reservation, which is you know very close to where I live uh, here in North Carolina, uh, the old timers will still put out food for the little people. And if they forget to put it out, they will have pebbles thrown on the roof of their house as if to remind them, hey, you forgot us, forgot us. But those are just pebbles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, when you talk about the little people, we had them back in Norway too. They were living in the woods and- uh, What do they call them? Uh, they they call them gnomes here, they, but, but they were little trolls back then too. They, they had the big trolls and the short ones. And they, they, at least that's the term that my mom used. Right. So trolls covered everything from Bigfoot to little yeah, people, yeah, just they, depending just, on the size. The ones living in the woods. In fact, uh, I hadn't thought about this for very recently. And my mom told me a story about there was one time we lived on a farm and mm -hmm. we had a quite sizable forest next to it that was ours. And on the other side, there were people living there. So she was visiting other people and she walked home one afternoon into the dusk evening through the woods and uh, through the forest. And she realized that there were small shoe prints, footprints walking ahead of her. So she was walking the same path that the footprints were. She was following it. And then it took off to the left of the small, there probably with inches, she said about five centimeters. So that's about probably that long. And uh, they went off and she followed it a little bit and it went into a hole in the, at the root level of a big tree. And she got a little alarmed about that because she heard all these stories about them being mischievous and stuff, you know. So uh, she just kind of hurried up and left. She didn't look in there, but I wish she would have. Because I wish she would have too. Yeah. This, this gives confirmation to her story about the similarity. Um, I was invited to uh, visit the land where uh, there are still little people living on it. And the property is about 200 acres. And um, most of the land is forest on, on a hill overlooking a river. Part of it's open fields. But he took me back into the woods, the man did, and he showed me a, a small entranceway uh, off a little creek or something that just went into the ground. And he said that was the entrance to uh, the underground place where the little people lived. And um, he also told me that uh, the ones that cause mischief usually are the teenagers. It's not the old wise ones. It's not the real young ones. It's the teenagers. It's just the way it is with humans. And he told me that, uh, I think it may have happened more than once, but at least once he was walking through his wood, wooded land. And suddenly there was a, a, a little person, a little boy who had been up in this branch and he came swinging down like this and came right upside down, came right into his face. And he uh, let the man know that he just wanted to see the color of his eyes. But um, you would not catch a mature uh, little person behaving that way. Wow. And it's also uh, oftentimes the teenagers among the Bigfoot that you're more likely to catch too. Hmm. 
Yeah, teenagers, that makes uh -huh. Yeah, it's kind of universal, <laughs> no matter what size or how they're packaged. <laughs> yeah, and gosh, thinking back on some of the stuff I did as a teenager, I'm I'm lucky to be alive. <laughs> uh, most of us are. <laughs> Somebody knew you had more to do, right? Yeah, I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there, oh man, this story came to... Um, I'm going to tell you something that I have never talked about on the air ever. I'm all ears. Yeah. And uh, that comes to the fact that, yes, there is another earth next to ours on a higher vibration and we can't see it. The surface of that earth is about 5,000 foot or so above where we are. I have seen it. But there is, a st there is something that happened to me while I was flying. And I was probably, I don't know, I could have been around five, 6,000. I was climbing out somewhere from, I don't even remember where it was, but it was bad weather. There was uh, thunderstorms, there was rain, there was uh, in the summer. And I heard this thump on the windshield of the aircraft. I haven't gotten up to full cruising speed yet. I was probably doing about 130 miles an hour. So, <clears throat> and then there was this thing that hit the windshield. It looked like a person about that long. And it had clothes on. And it hit the windshield and it obviously, you know, what. There was blood around it. And it's slow because the air was pushing it up. It hit the windshield right down by the by the nose, nose cone of the aircraft. And it slowly slid up the windshield and disappeared off the top. Hmm. Because of the wind was pushing it. And this, after it happened, I wondered, what in the world did I just see things? That's impossible. But that was a little person. Really little. Uh, yeah, really little. Probably around five, six centimeters long. Maybe about that. And I know it sounds so ridiculous and people's going to question this. But anymore, the more time goes, I really don't give a rip. It happened. And I'm thinking back on it today. I wonder where that person came from. There were thunderstorms and the air got sucked up. But uh, on the other hand, it could be from that interdimensional existence of the other Earth that is next to ours. Something came when the thunderstorm was moving through. There could be some interdimensional portal that had opened up and this little thing got sucked through. I am just theorizing here, and I really don't have a clue where he came from, but he did hit the windshield, got killed. And at that elevation and at that uh, speed, yeah. you would not be encountering um, probably even birds or butterflies or bugs. Yeah, it was not a bird. It had red, uh, some red clothing on. Hmm. So... It was so strange that uh, I 
I I don't think I I think I mentioned it once to one person here, but otherwise I never talked about it on the air because it's so ridiculously strange. Well, you'll probably get some feedback now, won't you? Oh yeah, I imagine I will. But uh, that's okay because people have their own opinion about things and. Maybe that was drawn to me too because I've seen so many other strange things that could be. I. It, it's there, anyway. And we probably should clarify that the little people come in different sizes. Uh, the ones that I've talked about, which are the chair, the book is called Cherokee Little People Were Real, and these are typically like three and a half feet tall. But I've also seen some uh, evidence that's pretty convincing. Of, of ones that are quite small yeah. uh, and that's a whole different thing so uh, life comes in many many sizes mm -hmm. yep they're they're out there and if you live for those of you out there as a listener now if you live in the woods or close to a forest walk in there sometime and leave yourself open to contact Think about what they may look like or open your, open your mind up to that. Yes, I know you're real. Come and visit. That is providing, of course, you have the courage to do it because when it happens, it could scare the daylight out of you. Absolutely. Like I, I, I write all these articles and I write books about the, the Bigfoot and all I do is to say good things about them. But if one suddenly appeared at my window and was staring in, you better believe my heart would be pounding like a crazy thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and probably the best way for me to meet a Bigfoot would be um, out in an open field where we both could slowly approach each other. Yeah. <laughs> and and acclimate to each other. But mm. the, to suddenly have one right there, yes, it would be a shocker. Yeah. Of course, if I suddenly turned and saw anybody I wasn't expecting to be there, I would be startled. So what can I say? Yeah, we're living in a strange world and we don't really know much of it. Maybe about 10% or so of everything there is, is what we are aware of. And we have to keep our minds open. For example, when I wrote the book, Cherokee Little People Were Real, I was writing in the past tense because I was interviewing uh, old timers who had helped build the uh, university, it's called uh, uh, Western Carolina University here in the mountains. And they all had stories about when they were digging buildings, they would find either the little skeletons or they would find this network of little tunnels. Um, and they were always square cut with a round top. I mean, it's not something a rodent did. Um, when I found out nobody had recorded their stories, I thought, I have got to save these. So I spent many Saturdays one year just interviewing these people around their kitchen tables to get the stories to preserve them because nobody else had done it. Um, but I, the way I have evolved is I have found out that there are still little people around. They're not mm -hmm. just a thing of the past. So if I had known that then, uh, the title of the book would be different. So we're constantly learning, we're constantly evolving, and we can never say, hey, I've got it all figured out and here it is in a nice neat box. Um, we're here to to learn and to keep on learning. Yeah. And, uh, uh, anyhow, 
Do you think, can you imagine that we are actually at one point in our future that this will be realized as being real and we are starting to make contact with them and they will somehow be commonplace in our society? Do you think that could happen? Uh, with certain groups of people, yes. I At this point, I question if that could become commonplace across all cultures. Yeah. Because we're just, there's too many people whose minds are like metal boxes and you can't get through. Yeah, and I'm thinking, if government had anything to do with it, they wanted to make them slaves probably and give them social security numbers and stuff like that. Right. So <laughs> that's what they do. They enslave people. So they want to control things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. Well, I, I want to remind you, send me that link to your, your story. I really, really would like to watch it. I'll do that. And uh, keep on doing your good work. Keep on sharing the information. That's that's all we can do at this point. Yep. I did that. That's it. That's all we do. And uh, you keep doing the same thing. And for those of you listening out there, send this video to your friends. Post it everywhere you know, because this is a conversation that is really worth listening to because it opens up an area, a facet of society and nature that hardly ever is talked about, but it's there and it's important. Good message. Yeah. Oh, right. my favorite question for you. Oh, okay. I love doing this. <laughs> if you could talk to the whole world and the world is listening, what would you tell them? Uh, I don't know if I have a real glib answer to that. Um, uh, we are creating so much turmoil in the world right now. If each one of us could simply not repeat the negative and just focus on the positive, then maybe all of us as a society could become a little bit more enlightened. And that is so desperately needed now. I just see negativity everywhere and we have got to counteract it with uh, energy that's full of love and harmony and and we need peace yeah that's the one we need peace yeah absolutely peace, and, uh, peace right <laughs> yeah just think of it also people do not go to war governments go to Correct. war Correct. and also on top of that is that not everybody that works for government is bad no, there's different aspects of our government. Uh, there's a whole rogue element of our government that we don't vote for, that we don't see. And they they are in it for the money. Uh, they're behind the, um, the drug stuff. They are behind uh, abducting people and then using them as slaves or whatever else they want to do. Uh, that's very, very real and very, very spooky and very, very awful. Uh, but those are not the ones we see on the TV. Those are not the politicians that we deal with um, on a daily basis. They're behind the scenes and incredibly powerful. Yes. 
Yep, but the world is going to better because there's hordes of people waking up. That's so right. I am very optimistic, and that is one of the things we keep programming on, the programming the future on in the mastermind that we're doing on Sundays. All righty. I wish you much success with that. Thank you. All right. Well, folks, uh, just keep watching Broadcast Team Alpha, and we will have... Uh, more good stuff for you and you repeat your uh, website again and uh, tell them also where they can find your books the website is all the words are easy to spell except for the last one it's sky ships over cashers.com cashers is spelled just like the cashier at the grocery store uh, my books are available on amazon and um you can go to the website, open up Editor's Corner, and there's a brief summary of each one of the, not summary, but a little uh, description of each one of the books. So you can find out, um, you know, basically what they're about. Sounds good. Well, thank, thank you. you for being with us. And uh, we got to do this again because you got more stuff coming out. I keep trying. <laughs> okay. You take uh, care. Yeah. Thank you for being with us.